All right, let's go ahead and get started. I always hate to interrupt good fellowship. It always bothers me. I feel like I'm busting up into people's business, but I'm going to go ahead and get started tonight. It's great to see everybody. And uh, if it's first time out for a Wednesday night, welcome to our equip class, we call it. It's an equip study. We're doing a series right now. This is week three. Uh, Pastor Jeffrey taught last week, and what we're going to be doing, he and I are going to be kind of handing it off back and forth. And that's, that's helpful to me, but it's also helpful to you to hear his perspective and his take on this. So here's what we're doing. We're taking the bookmark, which I'm going to grab one over here and try not to feed back. So Bill Loveless produced these, Christ's Life Ministries. Love for you to have, have one. We've got as many as we need. And uh, this is something that's so handy about this as a tool, as a discipleship tool, something you can put in your Bible and keep with you. I've got... I've got them everywhere. I've got in my Bible. I've got them in my butt, my bag. I've got them uh, in my desk drawer. When I open my desk drawer, I see it right there in both my desks. And uh, it's just handy. And if I'm having one of those days, anybody ever have one of those days? Has anybody ever had one of those weeks? How about one of those decades? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could keep going, right? Right. And so what I like to do is when, I, when I'm just having a day or having a moment or whatever, first of all, I, I go back to the pause. I just say, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. Thank you for my union with you. My union with you. God was created for union with Christ. So I thank you for that. And then I ask to be filled once again. Lord, or actually, I just thank him for being filled because the scripture says ever be filled or be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, thank you that I'm full. I'm filled, overflowing. Just making these declarations, and that always just... It resets. It's like a reset in the middle of the day. It's like resetting your, recalibrating your scale, so to speak, or rebooting your computer or your phone. And it's just a reset. And then the last thing I always do is I invite the, whole, the Holy Spirit, the river of life, to flow in me, to flow through me, to flow over me, under me, around me, so that everyone I come in contact with gets a taste of the river of life. Not me, Christ in me. That's the difference. So that's one of my main, that's my main go-to right now in this season. But this here has been such a help for me. And so if you have one, I love it because it has a whole section here, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, I am, I am, I am. Uh, Neil Anderson, he was the first one that I saw this from in the book, The Bondage Breaker. I think he has it in several of his books. He has a whole section on this. And then you can go to the back of the book or you can go to his website uh, Freedom in Christ uh, Ministries, or you can go to Bill's uh, website and have it. But we can, we'll make these, we'll get as many as we need, we'll keep them coming, and if you need to get more than one, grab more than one. If you have somebody you work with, or a friend, or a family member who needs one, just grab, grab some extras, we'll get more. But this is a help. So what we're doing, we're sort of using this as a bit of a template, a uh, bit of a launching pad for what we're doing on Wednesday nights for a while. You'll notice on the screen, in Christ I am, and I've made that as a blank, and then each week we're going to fill in the blank. We're going to fill in the blank with what we believe the Lord's leading us into, but we're basically taking those mostly from here. We'll, and, and Jeffrey and I both have the freedom, if there's something else that the Lord's speaking, we can, we can take that as well, because it's not, this isn't unique to Neil Anderson or to Bill Loveless. It's unique to all of us who are walking with Jesus. So tonight we're going to be talking about this because this is something, and I think as we launch into it, you're going to identify with some of the lies that the mirror speaks to you, the culture speaks to you, the enemy speaks to you about who you are. 
and whether you're enough. And, I'll, and we'll go into that in just a minute. So that's where we're going tonight. In Christ, I am enough. I'm hoping for somebody, this will be a revelation tonight. Remember the word revelation? It simply means you're knowing something you didn't know before, to be known. And it's like peeling the corner back on your... <laughs> I think about those ketchup things at Chick-fil-A that take 30 minutes. They're childproof, right? So that means parent-proof, too. And you're trying to get those things, the corners, and then when you get that peel back, you're revealing. And that's what revelation is. It's a peeling back. It's revealing something. So let's pray as we get started, then we're going to hit the ground running and uh, dive into the God's Word. And I think you're going to leave encouraged. That's my goal tonight, is for you to be encouraged. The word encouraged means to inspire courage. That's my heart for you tonight. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we honor you. We're grateful that we get to come here on midweek, hump day, middle of the week, and to, to be encouraged, to fellowship with one another and connect with one another and enjoy one another and enjoy what, what happens when koinonia happens, when fellowship happens. Your word says that where there's the unity of the brethren, that that's the place where you pronounce the blessing, l'chaim, to life. And so, Lord, we thank you that when we walk in unity and we enjoy one another, that you enjoy that fellowship too. So thank you for that. So tonight, Lord, would you open our hearts? Would you open our minds? Would you open our ears and our eyes that we may see, that we may hear, that we may know the truth that makes us free? We thank you for the finished work of Jesus Christ, that on the cross he cried out to Telestai, it is finished. Lord, we know that, that that's a, there's two things going on with that, and so we lean into the finished work of Jesus, and we live from a perspective of the resurrection, not toward the cross, but out of the resurrection, and in that, we know that you're continuing to work in our lives, you're sanctifying us day by day, we're growing and learning and developing. So I thank you for the journey that we're on, and I celebrate the fact that we're all in very different places in that journey, and Lord, may we find joy in the, in the place where we are right now. Not looking too far down the road, not looking too far back, but find joy, find excitement about where we are in this journey. I pray for my friends here tonight. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to be our teacher tonight. The spirit of truth who leads us and guides us into all truth. And Father, even as we pray, we're mindful of our ministry of the week that we're encouraging. And we lift up the Good Samaritan Center as they continue their good work in the medical and dental field. Encourage John and Megan Willoughby as they continue to lead out and serve and bless our community. We bless them. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen and amen. I'm trying to be more mindful even on Wednesday nights to pray for the ministry of the week, the church of the week that we're praying for. We want to we become a church that is a blessing people, right? A place of blessing. When people encounter us, they leave encouraged, they leave lifted, they leave closer to Jesus, maybe just one millimeter, but we'll celebrate movement whether it's a millimeter or a mile. Amen? So we just want to bless, bless, bless. So as we, as we turn our attention to the Word, we're talking about this, in Christ I am enough, and I want to give you a couple of things just as to, we continue this, understanding your identity in Christ. If anyone was to ask me, 
Pastor Jimmy, what is your message? What is your one, what's your one bullet? What's your Barney Fife moment? <laughs> he had one bullet in his gun. He didn't even have it in his gun. He had it in his pocket, right? So what's your Barney Fife? What's your one bullet? Here's what I'd say. It's identity in Christ. It's identity in Christ. It was the biggest game changer for me as a follower of Jesus because when I understood who I was in Christ, according to God's word, it's, it's what it says. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And so many people are fumbling around trying to figure out what to do, what to do, what to do. And it's as simple as finding out who you are because when you know who you are, purpose lines up. Alignment happens with God's will, God's ways, and God's word. And you will know what to do. Things about your destiny, your destination will become clear when you know who you are. So to me, it's, it's the most... It may very well be the most important key. We could say that about so many things, right? To your ongoing growth and maturity as a follower of Jesus. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And I don't know if you've ever prayed this prayer, but I want to encourage you to do this. Maybe a little homework assignment. When you get, wherever you pray, I'm, I'm a big shower prayer and I'm a big car prayer. I pray in my pickup. I turn my cab into a cathedral all the time. I pray, pray, pray in my, in my truck. And I'm blessed with about a 16-minute drive out to the house, 18. If there's if, if slowpoke guys on the road, it's 18 minutes. You know how that is, always that one. And uh, I'm blessed with that drive because it's my time to just have a conversation with the Lord, practice the pause, and converse with Him. And when I, but I want to ask you to do this in your time. Would you say, Lord, would you clarify my identity in Christ? Would you clarify for me who I am? And, and would you lead me to your word, to the scriptures that tell me who I am in Christ? Because the idea of knowing who we are in Christ isn't just looking in the mirror and making some, some positive affirmation. It's, it's actually looking into God's word and saying, what does God say about me? Who does God say that I am? Because when you go with who God says you are, you're on solid ground right there. Amen? And that's something you can bank your life on. And so that's part of what we're doing through this series is we want to get, get all of us immersed into our identity in Christ because when we know who we are, we'll know what to do. So if you're fumbling around a little bit with that and trying to figure out what is my role, what is my path, what am I supposed to be doing, well, it really is, in a sense, as simple as knowing who you are. So we're going to continue, and, and I'm going to keep uh, beating that drum for the next however long God allows me to live. Till I go, I'm going to beat this drum. So, welcome to, welcome to the concert. Here we go. In Christ, I'm enough. I praise you. I love Psalm 139. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Love the scripture on that. It's a beautiful, we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit later. But I want to give you a definition. I love words. I love defining words. They bring clarity to me. They bring definition. They help me. So, here it is, enough. The word enough is, it means adequate to meet the expectation. So you think in terms of how a lot of people feel about themselves, that they're not enough. Here it is. Enough means adequate to meet the expectation, desire, or need. Sufficient for the task or role. That means you're enough. It's good enough. That is good enough. This is good enough. This thing works. It's right. It worked. It's good enough. Equal to what is required or asked. So it, when, when I roll out some lies that bind in just a minute, you'll, you'll, this will make sense. 
synonyms of enough, adequate, satisfactory, sufficient. That's my favorite one there. And I like this one too, competent, competent. Talk about that a lot in the workplace, your competencies, your abilities. But competent means enough. So, lies that bind. You may or may not connect and relate to some of these. If this list isn't enough, I bet you can come up with some that the mirror or culture or the enemy himself or maybe in your own mind have spoken to yourself. So here it is, lies that bind. What does truth do? Truth sets us free, right? Truth frees us. We'll look at that in a minute. But we know what error does, what lies do. They bind us up. They bind us up. So listen to this. Here's one. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. Let me tell you, this, these words are common to all. I'm not going to make it. Oh, how many of us has that one, has that been spoken to in our mind, in our heart, in the mirror? Circumstances will tell us we're not enough, we're not good enough. How about this one? I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not handsome enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not old enough. See, we're never happy with where we are, right? So I grew up with curly hair, so I spent 30 years straightening my hair, cutting it short, and my wife was like, you have gorgeous hair, let it grow. And I'm like, it's, it's crazy. No, it's like a fro. I can't, I can't tame this thing. And then if, about last year, on a whim, I just got out of the shower, towel-dried my hair, and walked out, and Annette said, your hair looks amazing. I'm like, are you kidding me? I've spent 30 years wearing myself out trying to tame this beast. But how many of you who have straight hair want curly hair? That's why they do perms, right? We always want what we don't have, and we look at what someone else is, and we want that. And we do that because we feel inadequate where we are. And it can go for so many layers of things. It's not just hairstyles. It's clothing. It's cars. It's houses. It's... It's whatever. It's spirituality. This person's on fire. I'm not. I want what they have. The person's on fire is flying their airplane into the ground going, I need, to, I need to reel back. I'm killing myself. We always want what we don't have. Young enough. Old enough. I'm not healthy enough. I'm not talented enough. And y'all know that this list can go on and on and on ad nauseum. Because... All of us struggle with this because here's the thing. There's a very real enemy. And we're going to unpack a little bit of, of his role in this whole thing. But there's a very real enemy. And I like the way John Eldridge says it, that our universe is highly populated. And it's not just us. There, there is a bigger thing going on. We're just one part of this larger story. And the enemy is an opportunist. And he's looking for every opportunity to wriggle his way into your psyche, into your thinking, into your mentality. Why? To diminish your ability, to diminish your capacity to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. He is seeking to marginalize every one of us. That's the end game. Here's the deal. The devil knows he can't take your salvation. You're born again. 
You've been born from above. As John chapter 3 says, born of the Spirit, Jesus said to Nicodemus. Born again. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. That is secure. And the devil says, I'll give you that because there's nothing I can do about it. But here's what I can do. I can make your life a living hell, even though you're not going to spend it with me. But while you're here, I'm going to turn it into that. And I'm going to do everything I can in every opera. I'm going to leverage every trauma. I'm going to leverage every pain. I'm going to leverage every bad moment. I'm going to leverage your insecurity. I'm going to leverage this, this idea that I'm not enough, that it's not good enough. Or how about this one? I didn't do enough. Anyone ever felt that one? That is a pastor's curse. And I reject that curse in the name of Jesus. But I lived under that for years as a young minister. Some of y'all are looking at me saying you're still young. Thank you. Please keep saying it. You say it long enough, I'll believe it. Others of you are going, no, you're old, dude. You're old. It's to see, I'm not old enough. I'm, too, it's, I'm not enough. But laboring under that, I didn't do enough or I've never done enough. It's not enough. I could have done more. Jeffrey told the story about about Hacksaw Ridge, just one more, just one more, just one more. And in that context, yes, by all means. But in other contexts, remember, context is king and everything. In other contexts, we'll kill ourselves because we think we're never enough. We didn't do enough. Anybody ever felt that one? I didn't do enough? Yeah. Yeah, we do. So the enemy leverages that insecurity that we have. By the way, that's based out of a good thing. We want to do more. We want to help. We want to make a difference. And the enemy will leverage a good thing and pervert it a quarter turn and get it off the rails just a little bit. It's all it takes. Just a little quarter turn. It's not, it's not even epic. It's just a little thing. And he'll leverage it and get you off just a little bit. And suddenly what was giving you life before doesn't give you life now. Does that make sense? So here it is. I'm just not enough. So let me just say, get it out there. The devil's a liar. He's a liar. And I know that because the scripture tells me that. Verse 44, John chapter 8. Look what it says here. You belong, this is Jesus speaking in not so nice terms to the Pharisees. For those of you who think Jesus was, was sweet all the time. Listen, he's about to call these religious people out in a big way. Look what he says to them. You belong to your father, the devil. Okay, this is Jesus. Telling religious leaders that you belong to the devil. So don't think Jesus is just walking around floating three feet off the ground and little lambs were following him around all the time. I mean, there were times when he had to throw down. And he would speak the truth. And in this, in this case, he's calling out these guys. He says, you belong to your father. So while we can get caught up in that, let's, let's, get the, let's see what he's saying, though. Don't just get caught up in the moment. Let's see what he's saying. You belong to your father, the devil. He's going to tell us, give us a clue about the character and nature of the enemy. And you want to carry out your father's, the devil's, desire. He was, now, look what it says. He identifies Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning. Now, where's the beginning? The beginning. We don't know how far back. We don't know what that means. We just know that wherever there was a start of this thing, and we don't have a clue about it, really, Wherever it started, he was that from that time. So there was something off from the beginning. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. 
for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks from his native language. Now, this is the NIV. Actually, that may be the yeah, yeah, it's the NIV. But the New King James says, because it's his nature. It's, it's his nature to lie. It's in him. And we always say around here, we leak out what we're full of. What is the enemy full of? Murder. Lies. So what does he speak? So when you're looking at the mirror and you've got this voice coming back at you saying, you're not enough, you didn't do enough. How you, you let them down. How could you do that? You're supposed to be a Christian. You ever heard that one? Guess what? That may not be you thinking that. It may be the enemy doing exactly what his nature is to do, and that is to lie. Because the enemy's end game is to get you marginalized, and he'll take you out any way he can. Rip, he's, remember, he's the liar, he's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What is he stealing? What is he killing? What is he destroying? The life that is in you. The light that is in you. Remember Sunday with the light? Take the mask off, light comes on, put the mask on, light goes off. He wants to shut you down. He knows he can't take your salvation, but he'll rip off the life you have. He's a, he's a thief. And he's a liar. Look what it says. When he lies, he speaks his native language. It's out of his nature. For he is a liar. And look at this. The father of lies. Can't believe a thing he says. So when this voice speaks back to you, when you're looking in the mirror telling you you're not good enough, you're not enough, you'll never make it, you're not really loved, you don't matter, you're insignificant, no one cares, nobody cares, or the teenagers cry, I have no friends, and their phone's blowing up with 70 texts at a time, right? I, nobody cares. And so what is that? It's the nature of the enemy to lie and to leverage that pain. So whether it's a 16-year-old freaking out because she has no friends, or it's a 70-year-old freaking out because they feel like they don't matter and they're not making a difference, or that they've run their time out, and they're, they're, they're going to end their life with no legacy. No matter what, it's the same voice. It's the voice of the liar. So look what it says. The devil, so the devil's a liar. We established that. Here's another thing we're going to establish. The devil is an accuser. He's an accuser. He's a prosecutor. It's what he wants to do. He wants to take his bony finger, point at you, and say, you did this. You are a failure. You will never make it. You are, here's one. We men suffer from this one probably all of us, but men do, you will fail again. He, tries, he uses Pavlov's mentality. If you get stung enough trying something, you'll quit, you'll quit doing it, even if it's good. You ever hear, I had somebody write me the other night and say, every time I dig into the Word and get deeper in Scripture, every time I really start to pray more, I just, life seems to fall apart. I said, exactly. That's called resistance. It's Newton's third law. The faster you go, you're creating resistance, right? So the more you read, the more you study, the more excited you get. Guess what you're going to get? It's like riding in the back of a pickup at 70 miles an hour. You decide to stand up behind the cab. What, up, what do you get? You get bugs. You get stuff. You get debris. You get wind. You get resistance. <laughs> 
So the faster we move, the more we go, we actually create our own resistance. And the enemy just leverages all that. Say, see, every time you start getting on fire for God, this is what happens. What happens after four or five times when you keep taking hits? You decide not to do that anymore, right? Once bitten, twice shy. Bad hair metal song from the 90s, but, but it's, a, it's a poignant point that every time I get hurt, I get hurt every time I do this, so I'm going to stop doing this and when in fact it may be the very thing that God's calling you into and you may have stopped this far short of your breakthrough. This far short. Because the resistance is always more at the goal line right before the breakthrough, right? That's where it's the most intense. So the devil's an accuser. Listen to this out of the book of Revelation. Very interesting. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God. Ooh, I love the words there. And the authority of his Christ, the exousia, the authority of his Christ. Now look what it says. For the accuser of our brethren, or the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God, how much? Whoa, day and night? You know, the enemy never sleeps, even though we do, right? You ever had weird dreams? Have you ever woken up and felt something in the room and going, whoa, wait, I've got the heebie-jeebies. What's happening here? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, because the enemy never sleeps. You get creeped out, feel like there's a malevolent presence somewhere. It very well could be. Just because we get more advanced technologically doesn't mean that the basic platform of the kingdom, both of God and of the enemy, goes away and changes. Just because methods change, just because cars get nicer and, and appliances get better and phones get amazing, doesn't change the basic premise of the world and the system. But we have that we get lulled into a false sense of, well, we've moved on from all that. We're more civilized. You know, we're, we're not, and, and the enemy goes, hey, I'll, I could do more damage in hiding than I can out in the open. So choose not to believe that I exist, and I've got, I'll, you will rue the day, but I, I've got you right where I want you. I've actually had people look me in the face and say, this stuff, I don't even believe this stuff. I'm like, well, you don't have to believe truth for truth to be what it is. <laughs> the truth is not contingent on whether you believe it or not. Truth is truth. So, yeah, stick your head in the sand. You're exposed. I'm not even going to say what that is, but I'm just saying, you stick your head in the sand, something's sticking up, and I, you just expose yourself. And the enemy says, ah, oh, leverage, leverage, leverage. I'll take it. Is this making sense? This is where we live, family. And we can't stick our heads in the sand and pretend this isn't real. And the enemy would love it if we did, right? The accuser of our brethren. So look what he does constantly accusing. You know what an accuser says? You didn't do enough. You're not enough. You're not going to make it. They don't really care. He doesn't really love you. Your boss is getting ready to fire you. You're going to fail. Don't try. Don't even try. Just give up. Don't work too hard because you'll raise the bar and then they'll expect it out of you all the time. Just cruise. Just be, just go into cruise control. Just do the minimum. Does this sound familiar? This is real. This is where we live. 
And the interplay between us and malevolent forces is real. We feel it every day. We experience it every day. But we don't always connect the dots because we don't always have a category for it. We need to have a category for the mysterious and realize there's more going on than just what we see with our eyes. Amen? Amen. The good news is, is we don't have to be afraid of it. There's nothing to be afraid of at all. That's what makes this almost fun. So for the accuser of our brethren, this is what he does. Accuses them before our God day and night has been what? Notice that's past tense. What about you? That excites me. I like words and I like tense because that is past tense. He has been hurled down. The enemy has been thrown down. So much of what we worry about, the Bible is already given it in past tense. We've been raised up together, seated in Christ. Where? In heavenly places. Have been. Not going to be someday. We already are. I'm telling you, this is the revelation part where we start pulling back the covers on some of this stuff and go, wait a minute. I've been asking God for what I already have. You have the fruit of the Spirit. Did you know that? Right now. Love, joy, peace. Peace is yours. Joy is yours. Love is yours. And let's go for the big P, patience. It's yours already in Christ. But it's a fruit of the Spirit, not of the flesh. And it's already there. It's already yours to enjoy. Take it out. Unwrap it. Play with it. It's yours. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. And oh, that last one, self-government. The ability to govern oneself, self-control. It's a fruit of the spirit, not of the flesh. You can just say no all day long, but that won't get you very far. The adrenaline will wear off. It's when you, by the Spirit, through the Spirit, you are able to govern yourself. Oh, Lord. And that's why that whole passage in Galatians 5 talks about when you walk by the Spirit, you'll not satisfy the lust of the flesh or fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's by the Spirit. Does that make sense? So, anyway, I, I, I get a little off the rails on that because it's, it's so powerful. So, here it is. So, we know that the devil's a liar. He's an accuser. Now, let's go to the flip side of the coin. Here it is. Truth that frees. And again, this freedom thing, past tense. But let's just go with this. John 8, 31 and 32 and 36. It's not like we have not said this before. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if. There's a lot of if-then statements in the scripture, by the way. If you hold to my teaching, if you keep my words, you are really my disciples. So, you prove your disciple by holding to his word. Verse 32 then, there's an if-then statement. If you do this, then this. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what, family? Set you free. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? So if the Son sets you free, so truth sets you free, and now he's saying the Son sets you free, well, so are they two different things? No. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Oh, there it is. Connect the dots. And the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So there it is. He says, if the Son sets you free, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, some of you weren't in here. We've unpacked this over and over. But some things bear repeating, and this does. The word for know here is the word nosco. We get knowledge 
gnosis out of it, but what it literally means is this. It means to know by experience and encounter. That's what it literally means. It doesn't mean to know here. It means to know here in your knower, in your heart. Here. We all know the difference between here and here. Now, you know, in the average man, it's 17-inch gap right here. 17 from the center of your brain to the center of your heart in the average man. And can you imagine missing life on this planet, joy on this planet, grace on this planet, mercy on this planet by 17 inches? Can you imagine missing eternity with Jesus by 17 inches? And I know a lot of people have head knowledge, but they don't know. To know means you know in your knower. You know it here. It's in you. And no devil in hell, no human being can talk you out of it. Can get you off because you know. You don't think. You know. So know is the word nosco, and it means to know by experience. And it literally means to have intimate knowledge of. Literally. To have intimate knowledge of. So when you know it, you know it. You ever been around an expert? It's fascinating. They can tell you everything about a certain thing, and it's mind-blowing what they know, the intimate knowledge they have of a particular thing, a particular discipline, a particular skill, a particular piece of machinery, a particular gun, whatever it might be. And they can tell you everything about it, and they're focused, and you're riveted because how do you know all that? It's because they know. Now, we all have some knowledge about things, various things, right? Jack of all trades, master of none, right? We got some of that going on. So we have general knowledge, but that doesn't mean I know. Listen, you don't want somebody who has head knowledge and no heart knowledge doing brain surgery on you, right? Well, I'm pretty good at this. I love those commercials. Well, I'm okay. Yes, I'm good enough. It's, yeah, I'm adequate. I love the one of the guy with the, the Asian people, and he's like Dutch, and he's trying, he says the wrong thing, you know, and he, he says, he says in Dutch, he's supposed to be doing a deal, and he, and he says, he says he wants a hug, and the guy gets over and hugs him. It's because he doesn't know he knows. That's the difference. So listen to this. If you hold my teaching, you're my disciples, then you will know the truth. Who will you know? You'll know Jesus as the truth. Jesus is the truth. No archaeological dig, no apologetists, no atheists, no, no 15 people er, cheering every step away from Christ that you take will ever convince you otherwise because you know. Because you know. You can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody because you know. If you think, you're in trouble. But if you know, if you know the devil's in trouble, if you think, you're in trouble, Right? So listen to this, because if you just think, the enemy can, oh, he can play with that. But if you know, he's in trouble. It says, if the, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is such a powerful principle. Because here's the deal, it's the sun that sets us free. It's truth that sets us free. And it's knowledge, it's knowing, not here, here. That's the difference. That's where freedom happens. It's here. So listen to this. You are enough. This may be a revelation to somebody. In fact, I want you just out loud with your mouth to say this. Out loud, you're going to feel awkward doing it. 
So let's do it. I don't feel awkward. I'm just going to say it. I am enough. Now listen, I'm not basing that on some psychobabble positive affirmation thing. Okay, this isn't something I got off the internet in a meme going, this is going to change my life. This is the truth of God's word. And when I stand on the truth, I can stand in confidence. I can stand, I can be bold. I can be courageous and, oh, I can be audacious about it, but not arrogant. I line up in agreement, not in arrogance. So look what it says. You are enough. In fact, you are God's masterpiece. And here's the thing. When we say what God's word says, we are now in agreement with God's will and ways. Does that make sense? This isn't complicated. Keep it simple, saint, right? So let's keep it simple. Let's follow the logic train. You are enough. In fact, you are God's masterpiece. You are a work of art. And I'll show you in the scripture where that is. You're a work of grace. You're a work of grace. Fashioned by grace. You're a work of love. We spent weeks talking about being free to love. You're a new creation. Do you know his mercies are new every single... You get a do-over every day. Is that not crazy? If you wake up in the morning and you have a pulse, you have hit the lottery. You get a do-over. You get a brand new start, a brand new day. And guess what? All of your sin, past, present, future, is gone. You start off, you've got a clean chalkboard, a clean slate. It's new. You ever bought something new and you open it up and that new smell hits you? There's nothing about like a car new smell, right? You just open it up on a hot summer day and it's like, it's just like, breathe it in. We like new. But every morning that you wake up, it's new. All things are new. And listen, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Guess where that starts? Right now. Guess where that starts? Right now. Guess where that starts? Right now. It's punctiliar in nature. It means it starts and it never ends. Punctiliar. It's, it's a Greek grammatical. It, it starts and it never ends. So wherever you are, to use old school philosophy, wherever you step in the river, it's brand new. It's brand new. That means you're not who you were five minutes ago. If y'all got in a fight on the way here, by the way, it happens a lot coming to church, or am I the only human in the room? Things get wonky on Sunday morning. Hello? You're just trying to get here. You're like, let's not talk at all till we just get there. It's just, don't say anything. Let's just get to church. But you're not the person you were when you blew up in the car on the way. Or the person you wanted to bazooka who cut you off on the highway, right? I'm just saying, if this was only an M15. I mean, you know, we, we're, not that, we're not that person. Why? All things are new. You're a new creation every moment. That's the grace of God at work in our lives. That's why when somebody approaches you and say, you know what, you, you go, wait a minute. They, they accuse you. Remember what the accuser of the brethren does? They accuse. You say, wait, that's not me anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did that. I did that five years ago. I did that ten years ago. I, yeah, oh, man, yeah, I did that. That's not me anymore. Yeah, I said that, but it's not me anymore. Sometimes you have to tell yourself that. Remind yourself of who you are and whose you are. Does that make sense? 
So remember, you're enough. Look at this. Crafted with a purpose, design and intent. God has a reason. There is a purpose for you being on this planet. And when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. When you know who you are, you'll understand your destiny. When you know who you are, you'll know the next step to take. I'm telling you, it gets clearer and clearer and clearer. And the older I get, the more fun this thing gets. I'm not winding down to retirement. What is that word anyway? Where did we make that thing up? I'm not winding down. I'm going to finish strong. I'm going to run through the tape. I mean, Miss Charlene, 91 years old, and just informed me last week, oh, by the way, now I'm meeting with three junior high kids at Heritage Middle School and praying with them every week. She's 91. And she's not winding down. She's just starting to wind up. I'm telling you, I don't know when Jesus will take her home and it will be glorious. But I'm telling you, she's going out in a blaze of glory is what I'm saying. Don't you want to finish strong? I hear Coach Rivera in my ear all the time. Run through the tape, prove it. I won't tell you the rest of the things he said. I'm just saying he was a good coach. <laughs> run through the tape, finish strong. Don't you want to run through the tape in this life? Or do you want to just coast over? We had a guy on our team. If there was ever somebody that was going to coast, it was this guy. I'm not even going to say his name just in case. <laughs> he may be watching this for all I know. This guy, every time we had to run gassers in football or we ran lines in basketball or we were running track, he would never finish strong over the line ever. He would run and then he'd start to just wimp out and then he would just sort of drag over the line. And the coach just got fed up one day. He said, all right, boys, he calls all over. He goes, because he was still out there coming slow. He said, when he gets over the line, I want the whole track team to dogpile him. Y'all know what dog pile is, right? It's, it's, it's every man for themselves in that moment. So as soon as that kid did his thing over the line, he said, we all started running at him. I've never seen that guy run that fast in my life. <laughs> but we, so we found out he could run. But we caught him. We dog piled that kid out in the middle. It's amazing no one got hurt on that thing. But here's the deal. He was just coasting. He, just, he would never finish strong. Don't you want to finish this thing strong? Don't you want to stand before the Lord? Not, not in a performance sense. Not in, I've got to do this to get God happy. I've got to please Him. Just in the sense of, I love Him so much. And I'm so grateful for this life that I want to end this thing well so that later, I don't know what we're going to do in heaven. I don't, I don't know the whole thing. But if we do get to look back on this thing, we can look back and go, and the race. Paul said, I've run the race. I've finished the course. And there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And it's not because we're trying to get something from God. It's because we're just so grateful for his goodness. We do what we do from a posture of love, a posture of grace, a posture of gratitude. It puts a whole lot more pep in your step, and there's a lot more joy in this journey, I'm telling you. So there it is. Crafted with a purpose, design, intent. So here it is, God's masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10, listen. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. There's the destiny piece. He had a plan for us. There are things he has for us. There are assignments that you have on your life that I don't have on mine. And there are assignments that I have on my life that you don't and 
there are assignments that we all have together. Get it? So there's this incredible tapestry where we're running together, you in your lane, me in my lane, we're running our race, fulfilling our assignment, but then there are times when we pull together, we link arms, and together we're better and we're stronger because there's something for us to do together. That's what happens when we gather, when we come together. On a Sunday morning, like last week, and we get to see the fruit of that in baptisms. So cool. It was so awesome. And we get to celebrate, go, wow, look what God's doing. Look how amazing this is. Or there are times that we do things with another church body, another church family. We run together. We link arms. And we do things together. When I was in Abilene and pastoring there, uh, several churches, I think there were seven of us, actually planned this out. We canceled our Sunday morning services, and we all met at the Coliseum there in Abilene at the fairgrounds, and we did a, a worship service together. And there were, there were like thousands and thousands of us gathered together. I played on the worship team. I was one of the prayers. One of the other guys, we brought in, um, oh, Steve, Steve, Steve. Remember Steve from Every Nation? No, no, no. The, the author, writer who wrote Faith for the, for the American Soldier, Faith of George W. Bush, he wrote all the faith books. But anyway, we brought him in, and he spoke, and we just did this thing together. And we left going, wow, thousands of the body of Christ coming together from all these churches, all together. What we were doing, we were encouraging the military community there, Dice Air Force Base, and it was called Faith for the Fight. And all it was, it was about all of us linking arms to do something together. It was powerful. Lockdown, never forget it. We are God's masterpiece, and he's created us for something. So you are God's masterpiece. Now, he, he may not be quite done. He may still be working. There may still be some things going on, whether he's chiseling off pieces of marble at this point in our life or whether he's putting the final touches on an incredible painting, piece of art. He's working on something. Amen? You know, and it's this, it's this mentality to say, I'm a failure. I'm not enough. I'm not going to make it. Or you can take another perspective and say, you know what? I'm just not quite finished yet. God's not quite done. I'm, I'm still a work in progress. You know what that's called? Sanctification in the Bible. He's working on something. He's working on something. You know what? We get to spend the rest of our life being refined, sometimes chiseled. Or we could be like one of those big blocks of ice where they get out the, uh, they get, get out the, the chainsaw and they're cutting off and ice and water's flying everywhere. Whatever it is, we are a work in progress. Look what he says. We're his masterpiece. Isn't that amazing? Say this out loud with me. Say, I am enough. For some of you, that's hard to say. Some of you, you almost choke as it's coming out because you're like, ah. Because we've been taught these false, these lies about pride and about vanity to say, well, you know, you don't want to be puffed up. You don't want to be, you don't want to be thinking you're all that. Well, wait a minute. I'm just going to align myself with what God says. And God says, I'm a masterpiece. Now, I'm not going to go shout that out in aisle five at HEB. I'd be escorted out, right? It'd be very weird. But in my own time, I'm going to say, Lord, thank you that you're doing something here. You're working on something, and I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful, and I, I think, God, what you're working for is going to be amazing. I'm in process, and let's just keep going. Let's keep doing this. Hey, listen to this. God's workmanship, that's another word. 
Listen to this, Psalm 139, I read this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. This suggests handcrafted. This suggests craftsmanship. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Some of us are more complex than others. Can I get an amen? Don't point. Your workmanship is marvelous. This is the psalmist admiring the work of God. I don't know if he was looking in the mirror. I don't know what happened. He was having a good moment. But for whatever reason, he understood in that moment of time, and he captured it with a pen, of the goodness of God. And God's doing something amazing here. Something amazing. And there are Sunday mornings when I look out, y'all probably say, I get emotional sometimes when I'm teaching, preaching, because I just look out and I see all of you. And it's not just because you dress up better on Sunday than any other time. There's just something amazing when I see the body of Christ. And God will give me a glimpse every once in a while of what he sees as opposed to what we see. And I just get these little vignettes, little glimpses, and the bride just looks amazing. She's beautiful. That's how he's enamored with us. Isn't that crazy? He's enamored with us because he's created. We're his workmanship, and it's marvelous. How well I know it. Christ in you makes you enough. This is critical. We have to understand that what makes us enough isn't our good works. It isn't how amazing we are. It isn't how, how obedient I am that if I somehow grip my teeth and work a little harder, pray a little more, finish that two-year Bible reading plan I committed to. I'm only one day behind right now, FYI. Like that's somehow going to garner God's favor Garner his benevolence. Garner his goodness. And all God is saying, just come fellowship with me. I just want you to talk to me like a real, like we're having a real conversation. So listen to what it says. Colossians 1.27, one of my number top two verses. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. That's us. He's made something known. He's revealed something. He's peeled the ketchup packet back. He's revealed something. Look at this. The glory, among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery. So now he's revealing a mystery. Something that was not known is now known. That's revelation. Which is, and here it is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now we've talked about this a dozen times at least, but I'm going to say it one more time because it's important. Unless you know the words and what they're saying, that's an easy verse to gloss over because it sounds a little ambiguous it's kind of a, it's pretty liter, lyrically and literal in a, in a literal sense. But here's what it says. The word in there, I-N, is actually a participle, which means through, by, with, or for. It means all of those equally. But when you look it up and study it in Scripture, that word in is used 18 times over and above any other word as through. So you can literally say this. Christ in you and through you. That changes everything. Quarter turn, but it changes everything. Christ is not just, in other words, it's not just about me. It's about we. It's not just about we, it's about them. So it's not just me. This isn't all about me. Grace isn't all about me. Grace is just positioning me to be fruitful for his kingdom. So it's about all of us. Christ in you. Christ through you. That means when you show up, he shows out. 
that light we talked about on Sunday. That's what happens when you show up. It's coming through you. It's coming out of you. It's around you. It's in you. Christ in you. The hope, the word hope literally means joyful and confident expectation of the desired good. That's what it means, literally. Hope means expectation. Anywhere in the Bible you see hope, you can replace it with expectancy, expectation, or expect, depending on the tense. And it's the same word. So we're not talking wishful thinking. Christ in you and through you, the expectation of glory. Confident and joyful expectation. My word for the year is fun slash joy. So I am joyful in my expectation of God showing up. I showed up on Sunday morning fully expecting I was hopeful when I showed up that God was going to show up. And I was confident and I was joyful about it. And guess what? God showed up and showed out. It was a beautiful day. And we walked away going, wow, wow. I don't know what happened Sunday. We hit another level Sunday. Our staff was talking about it going, we're not sure what happened, but we biggie-sized something. We, we got the big fries. We upsized everything. You know, do you want, you, you want to biggie-size that, you know, for 30 more cents? Yeah, let's do it. Something biggie-sized on Sunday. We're, it's a little intangible, but I will take it, amen, and enjoy it. But I was confident that was going to happen. I was joyful. I was expectant. And there it is, the hope of glory. What's the word glory mean? God's manifest presence. So it's not just a cloud floating around that's pretty and, you know, and, and ambiguous and vague and esoteric and mysterious because we think of the glory cloud. There's also very much a tangible piece to this. It's his presence manifested. We experience that on Sunday. Hopefully you experience that today multiple times. I always do in my cab of my truck. It's just like I said, it's a cathedral. I experience it in the shower. I love taking a shower. Why? Because God, God seems to meet me there. I don't know. I just like to have great conversations. I have great revelations in the shower that I don't write down. I forget later. I'm just, I've got to figure out a way to record those while I'm in the shower. But I, just, it's, I meet him there, and he seems to show up. He showed up today at a coffee house meeting with Pastor Jason, our, our youth pastor. We spent an hour, nearly two hours together just talking about the kingdom and God and life and the presence of God right there in that place. Christ in you, Christ through you, the hope, the expectation of glory of God's presence. That's what he wants to do. That's, that makes you enough. Why? Because it's him. It's not just you, it's him in you and through you. Here it is, you're right. <laughs> you are right because he makes you right. I'm not talking about in some silly argument you're in and you're demanding, I'm right, no matter what. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about righteousness. The word righteous means to be upright, literally. It means to be upright. It means he makes you righteous, he makes you right, upright. This is so powerful and so profound because our tendency is to think that when we come before God, because he's a king, we have to bow, crawl, and even crawl on glass or crawl upstairs, bare need on our knees. We have all these crazy aberrations of what it means to humble ourselves. When God says, son, daughter, do you demand that of your child? If you do, I'm calling the, the 800 Child Protective Services hotline on you. 
If you demand your child to bow every time they come into your presence, get on your knees. You know what that is? That's abuse. And I will call that number myself. I have it on my phone. Do you think our God is abusive? Do you think our Father is abusive? You know how I see him? I see him. I don't mean, some of you think this is irreligious and disrespectful. It's not disrespectful, but it is irreligious. On purpose. I see him going, get over here, boy. Get over here. Get over here. Bring it in. Let me give you a hug. Come on, bring it in. That's how my dad, that's how my father treats me. I remember my dad, when I, I popped my first wheelie on my little green Schwinn Stingray. Anybody ever have a Schwinn? I had a Schwinn. Stingray. Had a banana seat with glitter. Green, had glitter hand grips with little tassels off of them. I promptly stripped that thing down. But I'm just saying, there for a couple of weeks, it looked really flashy until I got, got all into it. Turned it into a racer. But anyway, so I remember popping my first wheelie before my dad. I said, Dad, watch. Dad, watch. He's like, all right, go for it, boy. And I pull it up, and boy, did I pull a wheelie. I went all the way over and landed on my, on my bum <laughs> on the street. I was so embarrassed, so humiliated. You know what my dad did? He didn't say, see, you shouldn't have done that. That's what you get for showing up. No, he walked over, and he picked up my bike. He picked me up, dusted me off. He said, you ready to go again? I said, yeah, let's do it again. Why? Because he's my dad. He didn't humiliate me. He didn't try to kick me while I was down. He didn't abuse me. He was a good dad. But how much more is our Heavenly Father good? How much more, the Scripture says, does He want to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more does He love us? But somehow we think when we come before Him, we've got to crawl on glass to show Him how contrite we are. And all He wants is a conversation with you. He created you for relationship with himself and ultimately with each other. So he wants you to come. Now look, we'll land with this. God made him who knew no sin. Who is him that the scripture is referring to? Context is king. It's Jesus. Christ. God made Jesus who had no sin. Remember, he was spotless lamb. To be sin. Another translation says to become sin. Boy, let that mess you up theologically. Put that in your theology. I'm telling you, that is heavy revy to think that, that God allowed Jesus to become sin for us. If the outcome wasn't so amazing, I might feel guilty over that. Oh, he became sin for me. He hung on a cross and took everything for me. Yeah, he did. But he did it with joy, the scripture says. He despised the cross for the joy set before him. He knew what was coming. And so he gladly did it for the joy set before him. He did it joyfully. Mind blower. Look at this. So here's, what, here's the result. He became sin for us so that, in order that, in him, in Christ, remember, in, in Christ I am, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Let me tell you, family, this is who you are. 
You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You should let, that should put a pep in your step. That should make you walk a little taller. That should make you walk into a room different than you walk in. You don't need to cower. You don't need to grovel. Amen? We give honor where honor is due. He's our king, but he's also our father. He is majestic, but he is also Abba, Daddy. He's all of that. We give him the honor that, that he's due, but we also come before him as though we believe that he loves us. That changes everything. Jerry? Yes, sir. Same one. So look what it says. So that through him, remember he says, no one comes to the Father except through or by same present participle. Same one. Epsilon pneuma in the Greek. It's the same one. In, by, or through. Think about that. Think about the dynamics of how those are all just a little different, just a little different nuance that gives you more insight into how we come. So look at that. In him, through him, by him, we might become the righteousness of God. We might become right. Right. And that means, and that's why Hebrews 4 tells us this, come boldly before the throne of grace. Isn't it crazy to think that the material that the throne of God is made of is just grace? The most purest material known, ever conceived, is what God sits on. A throne made out of grace. And he says, come boldly. Come with confidence. Why? Because you're loved. When you know you're loved, if your daddy's the president, and you know you're loved... You don't go in there acting like he's the president. You go in there acting like he's your daddy who loves you. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand together. Be encouraged. You're enough. So here's the outcome. If I am enough, why do I keep working like I'm not? Why do I keep acting like I'm not? Why do I keep striving like it's not enough? Can you imagine doing what we do out of a posture of rest? Let me tell you something. I serve with a lot more passion and a lot more fervor and a whole lot more joy when I'm doing it from the place of rest and confidence and knowing that I'm already enough. Everything's bonus from here on. And it's, I've used this before, but this is bears repeating. It's like you're playing in the game and you already know you're going to win and it's your turn to bat and the coach is telling you to go for the percentage hit but it's you already know you're, the game's won. You're slaughtering the enemy. You're slaughtering the opponent. So what do you do? Do you get up there and do what you always do? You put your training and you play it safe and you, you go for the percentage hit? No. You've already won. This is all bonus time. This is fun. Why not get up and swing out of your cleats for the fence? I did that several times when I played for the Coca-Cola Chiefs. One time, I landed it, and I crushed that ball. The only grand slam I ever had over the center field fence was 15 minutes of fame. That was about all it lasted. I still have the ball. I still have the ball, as in terrible handwriting from a 
from a seventh or eighth grader, I can't remember how old I was, you know, Grand Slam Ball. That was fun. I'll never forget that hit. But you know what? I don't remember all the percentage hits I made. I don't remember the hole I hit or the, you know, little shot over second baseman in the right field. I don't remember that, but I do remember that Grand Slam. And you know why? Because I knew we were going to win. So I just had fun. So let me say something. We win, family. The devil has been cast down. Jesus already grabbed the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and he's held them up. He took the keys. And the Bible says he led captivity captive. He paraded the enemy through the streets. You already win. The problem is, is we don't know it. We know it, but we don't know it. If we knew it here, we'd live different. We'd smile a lot more. It'd be a lot more joy happening around this place. If we really knew it, that's my prayer for us, is that we would know this. Not know it, but know it. Amen? Amen. That we're enough. It's already done. It's enough. It is finished. So now, go out and enjoy. Enjoy what God's already done, the finished work of Christ. Let's have fun winning people to Jesus, right? Let's have fun making a difference in this world. We're on bonus time. Make it fun. Enjoy it. I think... I think we'd see a lot more fruit if we had a little more joy, don't you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, your word is so chock full. Even Philippians that we're doing on Sundays, so much about rejoicing and joy. And joyful, which means full of joy. We want to live joyful lives. Fully joyful. Full of joy. Because we already, the game's been won. Jesus already finished this thing. Jesus already said to tell us die on the cross. It is finished. So Lord, give us that perspective when we're in the grind tomorrow afternoon, when we're tired and fatigued and things aren't working out, things aren't going the way we hoped they would, or somebody spins out at the office, or somebody cuts me off in traffic, or whatever. Lord, remind us that we already won this thing. Jesus already took the keys to the kingdom. May we lean into that grace and find joy in the moment.